Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Well, hi, everyone. It's Paul Gillen here with Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Social Media Podcast number six. And today we're going to be discussing LinkedIn Today, B2B Marketing Budgets, Chrysler's uh, outsourcing Twitter fiasco, and, and other things with both Eric and our guests, who are uh, Jeff Cohen of Social Media B2B, a great website for social media marketers, and um, also with Rick Short of Indium, who uh, a company that has really uh, blazed a trail with the use of blogging and search engine optimization to, to drive uh, a huge lead generation. So, uh, Eric, pl- pleased to join you again this week. Yeah, yeah, it's great to be here, and I'm uh, glad to have uh, Jeff and Rick on the call. And the first thing we want to talk about is this um, uh, new service by LinkedIn called LinkedIn Today. Uh, If you haven't seen it, it basically lets you see what news the world's professionals are sharing and tweeting. Um, It allows you to customize your front page and follow industry and top news sources. Uh, You get there by just uh, hitting the More button and going down to News. It's in beta at this point. A little rickety at this point. The photos don't quite load just right. Um, But uh, interesting development because basically it lets you use, um, you know, the LinkedIn professional network to edit the news for you. Uh, Interestingly enough, you know, they have an FAQ on the website. And in terms of, you know, how they prioritize news shared, uh, what it says here is that to determine which articles get shown on LinkedIn today, we do the following. Bullet one. We look at the links that LinkedIn members share, like, and comment on most uh, based on the industry, um, assigned profiles of those who shared. Uh, We sort the links by industry and news source, and then we uh, give higher preference um, to those stories uh, that are being shared by a broad member base. So interestingly enough, you know, it's not necessarily your contacts in LinkedIn recommending the news. It's the broader uh, LinkedIn user base based on these industry categories um, that are uh, that are being uh, listed there. The other thing that's kind of interesting, um, it says getting content featured on LinkedIn. You know, if you want to get your content featured, they're asking you to put a LinkedIn share button uh, on your news site. They're also telling you to reach directly out to the biz dev team at LinkedIn by actually sending an email to publishers at LinkedIn.com, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, but what do you guys think? I mean, do you think uh, this could be a useful service? Uh, this is Rick. I uh, looked into this, and I, I think that HubSpot has a really good take on it. They basically say that uh, many websites automatically curate news based on what uh, the community or, or your friends like. Um, and there's, there's a whole list of them that do that. It's nothing new. The technology isn't the point. It's the point that the technology has been brought to LinkedIn. And and this is Jeff. One of the things that, that I see is this is LinkedIn's attempt to get more people, more of their users, to use the status update field and, in fact, share more news within the platform of LinkedIn. And to take um, and to command more of their audience's time. In other words, live longer on LinkedIn and don't go off other places to do things. In other words, to paraphrase Forrest Gump's mother, LinkedIn today does as LinkedIn does, you know. Um, 
it's just they're just trying to be a better LinkedIn using existing technology and keep people on their site longer. But but if you could somehow, you know, use the service to figure out what news is interesting to your professional network rather than just the broader LinkedIn user base, do you think that that would have value? Yeah, when that gets refined like that, when, when they can start associating the groups that you belong to and the affiliations that you have based on their database into specific topics and you can wield it in that way, uh, that refinement will be great. This is Paul. I think one of the things that LinkedIn does so well is they leverage the their, their professional networking strength. The fact that they know what industries people are in, what titles they're in, and they use that to micro-focus uh, everything, you know, from their ads to their uh, to their promotional messages to a service like this. I didn't think anybody could come up with a, you know, a new crowdsource news service that I would really like at this point. But but this is a great uh, new feature. And to clarify something that that Eric did say, when I look at, when I look at the categories that LinkedIn is showing me, they are categories that are relevant. While it may not be stories specifically from my network, they are stories from the industries that are predominant within my network. But wouldn't you have more trust for recommendations from your personal network instead of the broader industry? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, uh, using Twitter as an example of another way to get news, I follow particular people on Twitter to see what they're sharing. And I, I would agree the same, the same sort of design would be more relevant within LinkedIn. You guys have any opinion at all on Paperly, you know, that service that allows you to sort of see um, algorithmically the links that have been uh, seen or, or retweeted by a specific user? Uh, anytime that I can get a more refined, more qualified lead, I'm happy. And then I simply evaluate the, the price. Um, <clears throat> problem for some people is that there's, their market's too broad. And for other people, the issue is that their market's real small. It's hard to get a service like that that's perfectly suited for your company. If, if you're one of many different kinds of companies. In my case, I'm extremely long tail, um, very highly focused type of uh, organization in, in industrial electronics assembly materials. So generally services like that tend to be too broad and it's a, lo a lot more um, quantity of leads than I'm willing to fish through. I can usually generate much more accurate, precise leads myself. If someone can um, do a much better job for me, of course I'd love it. And I wonder, this is Paul, I wonder if, if this is just the first iteration of where LinkedIn is going to take this, particularly as their membership grows, you know, they, they crossed the 100 million barrier, 100 million member barrier just in the last week. Uh, will we eventually be able to get, to Rick's point, uh, a, a news a, a news source that is curated only by people who are in the uh, industrial materials uh, industry? Well, and, and Rick certainly brings up an interesting point about the long tail um, one of the things that, that his company has done very well is leverage blogging to get a lot of information out there uh, to get some search benefit. And the idea of news is very much about instant what's now, what's real time. And so I, I would almost think in his particular case, he would like a curated solution that goes back further than just here's what people are sharing today. It may be, here's what they're sharing over the past six months. That's a, boy, you know, I love that. Thank you. <laughs>
You know, this points out um, some obvious things that we all know. No, uh, a couple of them are that um, technology is developing faster and faster, and then the corollary of that is that technologies are combining faster and faster. So the, the very ground that we're standing on is just rumbling and moving all around us. You know, what you can do today, um, we just say, you know what, just wait till tomorrow. It'll be even crazier. It'll be even better. Um, so that's kind of the obvious stuff. But what it's ultimately leading to is the very, um, the very design of my organization. Um, for example, we just had a, a miniature, completely unplanned, never saw it coming, um, impromptu graduation ceremony in my office about an hour ago. Um, somebody came in and told me that um, they, they merely <clears throat> went on a social media site and said they were going on a uh, trip for a specific reason, going to another country, they're going to do this, that, and the other thing. And, and he said within two days, he, he got so many contacts, people reaching out to him just from seeing that statement on a social media site saying, well, while you're there, you should do this, that, and the other thing. While you're there, you should come and see me. I'd like to visit you and talk about blah, blah, blah. And what's starting to happen to the, the, the actual design of companies now, like mine, for example, is that we're finding that if we don't alter the design of our companies to suit what technologies are delivering to us, we almost don't even know how to handle what's coming at us. We've been very fortunate that our engineers are quite nimble and they're willing to accept crazy new roles that they've never heard of. That when they go home and talk about it, their father doesn't even know what they're doing anymore. Um, We've got these new kinds of roles and jobs, and if we don't change our design, then some of these tools will actually kind of not be too effective just because we don't know how to deal with the quality that's coming out of them. Uh, let's move on to our next topic, which is about B2B marketing budgets. And this is based on a short item in B2B magazine that said that B2B marketers will increase their marketing budgets on average 6.7% this year over last year. But what really hit me was that the in, in high-tech services, the growth is going to average 17%, which uh, just amazed me. Uh, and this certainly would indicate that uh, budgets after a very rough couple of years for B2B companies, budgets are finally, uh, there's some investment beginning to come back. I wonder, uh, Jeff, from your perspective, are you seeing this in the, the people you talk to? Um, I'm really not. I, I'm seeing, what I'm seeing is budgets are, Budgets are staying pretty flat, and what people are, what businesses are looking at is they're looking at ways to ways to continue to be smarter with their money. They are starting to move a little more towards digital, and and part of that, what's driving that is they are really looking for more measurable results. You know, the the days of of doing things and and guessing what worked and what didn't work. Are are well past us, um, so it so it really is about spending smarter, as, as far as what I'm seeing. As clients get more sophisticated at measuring online campaigns, is that putting pressure on traditional channels? Are they looking at them and saying, "My gosh, we can't really measure the trade show. We can't really measure the ad buy." Should we be shifting more of our spend to the online channels? Well, it, it, of course, that's true. It's always true. Um, 
when I looked at this report, and uh, I was a bit like Fred, you know, I don't like to just take the, the headline and, and start um, repeating it to people. I like to dig into it and see what more details behind it. Um, it brings me to a bunch of questions that, that are, have to be discussed anytime somebody compares one year to the other. Um, first of all, everything's relative, and it's all clouded in the larger reality, just like everything else in life. Um, and I ask myself questions like, why is why is the budget that they, that they, the average budget that they talk about larger than last year, and then why was it smaller? Uh, why was it smaller last year? Smaller than what? What happened to cause these budget uh, percentages to change? Um, what happened to other budget items like print ads, trade shows? Which goes to your question: um, Is it the effect of the economy? Is it the new order of effectiveness of these new tools? Um, because this we said a minute ago, as technologies change and tools become increasingly powerful at different rates, um, there's a new order of effectiveness. So just simply saying that marketing budgets on average are up 6.7%, it's almost meaningless uh, until you know the much bigger story. Um, in some segments of the market, the economy has been rebounding strongly since uh, uh, mid-2009. Other, other economies are still uh, flatlined. Um, some industries are accepting digital media more than others. So there's just so much more to it than a simple headline. Jeff, given the you know success you guys have had blogging at Indium, um, to what extent have you seen more of the spend go online as you've been able to demonstrate success, you know, with numbers? Okay, I can only speak for myself and my company. Um, we are really we're like the opposite of most companies I read about. I mean, I talk to a lot of people about the subject, and it seems like one of the top complaints that is always heard is, yeah, I get it, I understand, but we just don't have the content. And you guys have probably heard that a million times. Um, we've got so many engineers that are so prolific at doing research, original research, um, and generating content. They're so good at talking to other technologists in the world and, and creating collaborations that we've got a ton of content. So therefore, we're we're, we're already set up to go. Secondly, we get the concept of being publishers. We're really good at that, and we're comfortable and happy with it. So the next thing you know, we're grinding out tons of content and repurposing the content, and we're having a really good uh, set of results doing that. Um, I measure my results based on the, the, the um, customer contact that we create because of that. And so we're just swimming in um, success in uh, online type uh, social media um, activities. We compare that to um, putting an ad in a printed trade magazine. It's not even comparable anymore. And Rick, uh, I think you bring, uh, bring up a really important point because you're right. I hear this all the time. We don't have content. What are we going to say? And I think you know, you're in an industry which arguably would, would have that problem because your content is so technical and there are so few people who are really specialized in what you do. And yet your attitude is completely different. You, you see yourself as swimming in content. And, and what is it about your approach to this issue that you think makes you feel that way? I think that some companies are, no matter what they say they're doing, their core competency is selling. And in our case, in 1934, we were founded by a chemical engineer. In 2011, our president's a chemical engineer. And at all points in between, we've been rife with engineers. And we go to market with the phrase, from one engineer to another. In other words, we're just like you, Mr. Customer, Mrs. Customer. Um, we're just a bunch of scientists. And they speak the language of data. 
They speak the language of, of information. They speak the language of prove it, be able to defend it. And without that, you're nothing. And therefore, that becomes content. And if you don't have content, you really can't compete. We're going to take just a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Chrysler Twitter fiasco uh, that happened just last week. Stay with us. This January 2011, Paul Gillen and Eric Schwartzman bring you the first book devoted exclusively to B2B social media communications. Packed with business-to-business case studies and applied knowledge, Social Marketing to the Business Customer is the most comprehensive collection of B2B social media marketing guidance ever assembled. B2B markets are driven by value and relationships. That's very different from B2C markets. This book's a hands-on guide. It walks business people step-by-step through the process of using social media to find and engage business customers to ultimately drive more revenue. Social Marketing to the Business Customer is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and Borders. Or buy it at our show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com. Also available for iPad and Kindle. So, um, many of you probably heard about what happened uh, with uh, Chrysler, who had outsourced their social media to a vendor and the vendor had uh, uh, misappropriated a tweet over the wrong channel. Um, Jeff, you want to sort of brief us on this? Sure. The, this was a situation where, uh, a, as you said, Chrysler had an agency managing their social media profile. And what happened was uh, the person who was responsible for doing that went ahead and made some disparaging remarks about Detroit, thinking he was speaking from his own Twitter account. Uh, there was also a little bit of profanity in it. And it turned out that he was tweeting from, he was tweeting from the Chrysler account. And uh, essentially, the agency managing the social profiles wound up, they, first they fired the person who did it, and then they wound up losing the account. Chrysler dropped them from it. And just there are two real important takeaways from here. And this is something I feel pretty strongly about. The first is that if you are on Twitter as a person, <laughs> you need to think about all the time what you're tweeting. And is it relevant? Is it valuable to the people who are following you? So I even go back to the person who tweeted that, you know, disparaging remark about how people drive in Detroit is totally irrelevant and never should have been tweeted in the first place. But by using, by using a tool where you have your personal account and your, uh, a business account that you're tweeting for a client using the same tool, it's really easy to make that mistake, especially if in this case, it's mobile. So when you when you set up when you set up accounts where you're tweeting for a client, you absolutely should be using a tool that your is only set up for that client, and you can't possibly make that mistake. Um, did everybody overreact? Yes, they probably did. But I think part of it is it's a really good lesson for people to understand how important it is 
to a keep this stuff separate and b really think about what you're saying online because there's no there was no point to it even from a personal account i want to take a moment just to share with everyone the exact tweet here it is I find it ironic that Detroit is known for the motor, known as the Motor City, and yet no one here knows how to effing drive. And I'm, I'm obviously, I'm bleeping out the effing drive. Um, and uh, so that was the exact tweet that um, uh, occurred. And then, it, according to the story, the AP story here that I'm looking at, um, this was one of the reasons that Chrysler let go of the agency. Uh, but it's worded that way. You know, this this right. contributed to it. And then the last thing is there's a quote from um, a spokeswoman with New Media Strategies that handled the account. Uh, her name is Lindsay Metzger. And her quote is, um, in fact, it may very well have been, we may very well have been able to reassign people to other accounts. Um, and that New Media Strategies remains committed to Detroit and are big believers in the city's comeback. Those were her quotes. I actually um, tweeted her, uh, Lindsay Metzger, to let her know we'd be talking about this on this episode and invited her to participate. Uh, I probably didn't give her enough advance time, but Lindsay, if you're listening, we sure would love to have you on a future episode to talk about you know, your perspective on what happened here. Um, Rick, what's your take on this? I've got two issues as well. Number one, what we just mentioned. Um, issue number one, it was a mistake, a mechanical error. The man, um, allegedly, according to what I read from him, was in traffic, whipped out a mobile device and pounded away, only later realizing that he published as Persona A instead of Persona B. Um, it's a mechanical error. It's a mistake. But you know what? It's, he, he made a mistake. And sometimes uh, we make mistakes and get away with them. Sometimes we make a mistake and we pay the price. Nature can be cruel. Um, when you're making a mistake painting your own house, it's your problem. But when you're being hired to paint somebody else's house and you make a mistake, it's a very different issue. He made a big mistake on somebody else's behalf. That's a serious issue. Um, item number two, when you run an organization as large as Chrysler, you're a lot more than a car. There are very many, very, uh, very complex interrelated concepts and programs. Um, to quote Ed Garston, who's a friend of mine, I've uh, worked with him. I spent uh, some time down in Atlanta speaking with him um, at the AIMA event recently. Um, Ed Garston says, the company has invested greatly, and I'm quoting, not only financially but philosophically in, in supporting Detroit and the U.S. auto industry. We simply couldn't tolerate any messaging whether or not there was an obscenity that was denigrating to Detroit. You see, this is a, showing a very good, strong commitment to being something much, much bigger than a car. Uh, and it goes back to the very simple marketing co uh, concept of when you're going to the hardware store, are you buying a quarter-inch drill bit or are you buying a quarter-inch hole? And Chrysler is really aspiring to be something much, much bigger than a vehicle. And there are a ton of interrelated concepts and programs there. And this just massively violated that. And that's not tolerable. It was a sad, tragic mistake, but it was a mistake that um, was was intolerable, in my opinion. Yeah, this was uh, this guy was a sacrificial lamb. There's no no doubt about that. And this is part of Chrysler making a statement. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting corporate dimension here, and and Jeff's comment about you know how easy it is to to make a fool of yourself these days, because basically the tools don't 
don't prevent us from doing that. Um, we write in the book about uh, about uh, the policies that different companies have on employees using Twitter for personal versus uh, versus uh, business purposes, and they're very different, very polarized in this in this issue. And we were struck by Dell, which has a which actually encourages employees to use their personal Twitter accounts. Uh, for business purposes and, and to actually share comments about their personal lives with their business contacts. They, Dell believes that that brings uh, these people closer to their customers. But of course, there's constantly the risk of something like this happening. Uh, or even without the obscenity, without the uh, the negativity of this tweet, just simply saying something that offends somebody. Maybe you're a, maybe you're a gun enthusiast and you're you're shooting on weekends, and that's going to uh, anger a customer. So I wonder, you know, is this is that a good idea to let employees mix their personal and and business uh, information that way? Well, well, Jeff got to a, a really good point right away. I mean, he just nailed it when he started when he started answering a minute ago um, about the actual device that you're working on. Um, some people even go as far as carrying two devices so that if I'm on the blue phone, I'm talking as Mr. Blue, and if I'm on the red phone, I'm in a different realm. One of the posts to the Diva Marketing blog on this subject um, by a, a woman named Alexandra Reed um, goes to that point, and she was saying, as a community manager, I'm in charge of managing multiple accounts, um, and her rule of thumb is to log out every time she posts something. She's mechanical about it. Every time she posts, she logs out. If she's going to post, she has to re-log back in. It's very cumbersome, but um, she's forced into accountability of making sure she's the red or the blue channel every time. But but um, essentially, all these channels, you know, all these attempts are ways of trying to segment your identity and essentially control message and control communications. And as social media becomes more pervasive, uh, will it become more difficult to segment your profile? And are what are what we're talking about here is really more just um, a case of better educating uh, users to use social media and also, um, you know, uh, making sure management understands that, you know, we now exist in a world where you can't control the message. And the truth is people are going to make mistakes. And I think, you know, overreacting to those mistakes in many cases winds up adding insult to injury and inflaming the situation, whereas, you know, a simple acknowledgement and an apology uh, could eventually put the whole thing to rest. Well, I think there are legal issues here as well. Just to add on to that, legal issues here as well, which is that, uh, you know, historically companies have uh, have not been at, at liberty to discipl discipline employees for activities in their private life simply because those activities were now visible. And now we have the Potentially, you friend your boss on Facebook, and suddenly this person has a window into what you're doing in off hours. And can you discipline fire someone for something that they're doing that has really no relevance to the company's business? Yeah, but we're drifting now. This person posted as a Chrysler, with a Chrysler, as um, at Chrysler Autos. The organization assumed the responsibility of tweeting as Chrysler Autos. And he tweeted as Chrysler Autos. It's not just that he had something going on in his personal life. So, so um, is the takeaway that essentially outsourcing the company's voice to a third-party agency is in itself unethical? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Anybody could have made that mistake. Well, um, let, The first part of what you were saying a second ago is um, how, many, how many voices uh, – do we have to maintain? Well, the answer is we all have to make decisions. Am I going to be uh, an organization that uh, works for 20 different clients and I've got 20 different phones? That's that's my choice to make. If I'm willing to walk on that tightrope, 
then it's my choice, but maybe I'm not too good at it. Other people that we all know, uh, friends of each one of us says, you know what, I don't want to get involved in too many things. There's too much to handle. I just want to be me. Um, we've got to address those kind of psychological issues of just how many um, responsibilities are we going to shoulder. And, and by the way, managing these multiple personas is nothing new to us. Uh, ask anybody who's got a, a three-year-old child and an eight-year-old child and a 16-year-old child and a, and a spouse. You, you, you have a different voice for each one of those people. This is just doing it in a way that's recorded for all people to see. Jeff, why don't you have the last word on this one? As somebody who works for an agency uh, who manages companies' social profiles, it, it's interesting, Paul, that you mentioned a uh, social media policy because our agency has its own social media policy, how we expect our employees uh to conduct themselves with regards to social media. And we have helped clients develop their own internal social media policy. But in fact, there's not, <laughs> there's not a policy that bridges the two together uh, that essentially holds a, either party accountable for making sure that we are representing them properly. I, I think this could... As a result of this Chrysler situation, there may be another set of documents that become part of an engagement. And when I say engagement, I mean between an agency or an outsourced company uh, and a corporation presenting their, their social voice online. That's a great point. Uh, Jeff, I want to uh, take a moment just to you know acknowledge... Uh, the celebration of social media B2B's second birthday. Um, tell us, for those uh, of our listeners who may not be familiar with the site, though, I can't imagine there, there would be many of them, but if there aren't, tell us about social media B2B. Social media B2B is a site that Kip Bodner and myself started about two years ago. We were, we were both people working in B2B marketing, and Kip is now working at HubSpot. And what we, what we realized was there was not a lot of discussion for marketers who were learning about social media for them to get uh, basically case studies, examples, how-tos, just and even, even thought starters for how they could approach social media in a B2B environment. And, and as you said, we just, we just passed our seventh birthday. I'm, I'm sorry, second birthday. Uh, we have over 400 posts filled with all sorts of information. I, so when Rick talks about the long tail of, of his company and his information, we are all about the long tail. Um, I know the world of the blogosphere, is, as I said before, is very much about the now. But we have posts, you know, maybe that we wrote a year ago that are still very relevant. It could be a, a how to get started blogging. Um, so it, it really is a it really is a great resource. And and as a result of the site, some of the things that I've been able to do is go out and speak about B2B uh, social media. I have just real quick a handful of speaking opportunities coming up where I'm speaking at a local college. I'm speaking at a business marketing association. I'm speaking at a PRSA event and then I'm speaking at a, a B2B forum uh, later this summer. So. All this is as a result of writing and thinking and talking about B2B social media on the site for the past couple of years. 
really a tribute to how uh, how quickly one can become a celebrity these days, or certainly a celebrity within uh, even narrowly defined field. And speaking of which, uh, Rick, we uh, Eric and I shamelessly uh, promote the uh, work that that Indium has done uh, with its constellation of blogs, its SEO strategy, and the success that you've had with um, uh, with lead generation by really putting your engineers in direct contact with your customers. It's a great story. We devoted uh, quite a bit of space in the book to it and, and continue to talk it up and out in our other activities. Uh, can you give us an update on where that initiative stands? Well, I want to backtrack slightly. Um, a website like Social Media B2B is extremely valuable for my organization. When I'm trying to um, bring on a new engineer, a new product manager who's highly technical, um, Maybe I'm kind of down the road a ways, and I'm, I'm far ahead, but I say I need some resources that this person can be helped by. When you point a person who's getting involved with social media in my company to social media B2B website, first of all, they've got history of uh, social media, background, some primary education. They've got current events. It's, it's a tremendous tool, and that's really kind of at the core of, of, of the success we're having is that we tap into this larger community. Uh, when, when people talk to me about uh, Indian Corporation's social media success, I'm very quick to say, well, thanks for saying that, but you're part of it too, no matter who you are, because the entire community that's, that's, that's giving energy into this education that we're all experiencing and the growth that we're all having, um, I'm tapping into it left and right. So, you know, when I, when I see uh, socialmediab2b.com, I'm like, yeah, I can use that. That, that really helps. I appreciate it. When I see you, people like you writing a book, um, yeah, let me have that book. Let's read it. Let's learn from it. Let's keep building with all these bricks that we can we can put together. So really at the core, we're a learning organization. Um, people sometimes say, how do you get these, these engineers who blog or get them to blog? The secret is in the hiring, and, and, and it's almost in the DNA. If you hire the right person, uh, the, the, the ethics, the attitude, the energy, the, the passion for sharing, the sense of being connected, that's just in the person. If you trust them on the phone, if you trust them sending emails, then you surely must trust them uh, diverting their email to a blog, you know, posting instead of just sending an email. That's the easy part. And I want to thank you guys for making it uh, easy for us for all the things that you, my brothers in arms in this, in this uh, big, big affair uh, are doing for us. And I want to take a moment to thank our panelists, um, uh, Jeff Cohen from Social Media B2B and uh, Rick Short from Indium. You've been listening to the B2B Social Media Podcast. And until next week, so long. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com.